Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt. I'm playing Cyberpunk now, Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Um, it's an interesting game. I don't think we have time to really talk about it, but I've barely got stuck in. I'm, I, I've made like eight characters and deleted like seven of them, uh, but... You know, I, I'm one of those people with character creators and games. And it, it's happening to me in WoW now, too. Um, not that this is lore, so I can't talk about that much either. But, yeah, that whole thing where you have enough, just enough options to get you in trouble, that, that's, that happens to me in character creators. Yeah, one of those things where we're spoiled for choice, and that choice, well, it is kind of spoiling. But we're not going to be talking about that today. We'll probably bring that back up on Tuesday for our other podcast for the Blizzard Watch podcast. So if you don't listen to that, maybe... Maybe give this one a try. Uh, but we're going to be answering questions from uh, lovely folks, our Patreon supporters and uh, folks and listeners that maybe not necessarily our Patreon supporters. Uh, you sent us a bunch of questions. I'm going to go ahead and, and read them out and we're going to answer them. If you do have questions for the podcast, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com, uh, singular podcast. Uh, and if you don't want to do email and you are a Patreon supporter, you want to get your messages highlight. You can go to our Discord channel, where we have a specific channel set aside for Patreon Q and supporter questions. Uh, this, actually, pretty much everything we're going to be going through today came from that, so thank you very much. If you don't have uh, the ability to support us on Patreon and you don't want to do an email, uh, we do have one for non-Patreon supporters. It's just podcasting Q questions. You can throw it in there. That is one of the other places we do look. Uh, but be sure to send them in, and we'll be happy to answer them as they fit. Make sure you do specify what show what is for and if you have a special pronunciation for your character or name that you wish to be going that you wish to be uh read off as please include it it makes my life a lot easier uh our first one is going to be from ferentis uh what's the difference between a rogue and a demon hunter in diablo and this is going to be where i let matt talk a little bit about that because well it's diablo stuff well i had just written a relatively long post. Well, I didn't just write it. I wrote it a year ago, but it got reposted recently. Um, I can actually talk about this to some detail. Basically, uh, rogues are not at all related to demon hunters. They they are completely different. They, they come from a different source. Rogues come from the tradition created by the Amazons. And the Amazons were basically started by a Nephilim who was in love with an angel. Uh, I don't remember the names off the top of my head. Sorry, guys, but the, uh, the Nephilim and the angel were in love, but the angel left when the non-interference pact was created between heaven and hell and ceased all contact with the, the Nephilim in question, uh, leaving that Nephilim somewhat adrift as the love of their life had, had abandoned them as far as they could tell. After a lifetime of wandering, since as a Nephilim, uh, they were practically immortal. They lived much longer than a normal human. Uh, they eventually stumbled upon the Scovas Isles. And I think at the time they weren't called the Scovus Isles. In fact, I think Nephilim's name might have been Scovus, to be completely honest with you, but I don't remember, unfortunately. Um, but that Nephilim found that island, and there was a perfectly normal human living on that, that island. And they they've then fell in love and had a relationship from which was born several children. And those children were the, the forebears of the Amazons. And the one thing that they had from their, their you know, father, their forebear, was a device called the Sightless Eye. And the Sightless Eye was an artifact that could be used to contact the angel that the Nephilim had originally been in love with. It could also do many other things. It could see into the past and future and all sorts of stuff. Um, the Sightless Eye 
became kind of like a centerpiece to their culture. There were people in Amazon culture who felt like they were misusing the device. They weren't um, making proper use of it. They weren't using it to its fullest potential. They stole the device and fled to the mainland, specifically to the area around Tristram. Uh, you've heard of them as the sisterhood of the sightless eye. That's where the rogues come from. The rogues are essentially the sisters of the sisterhood of the sightless eye. Uh, that's where their original tradition comes from in Diablo lore. Uh, now we don't know, there's going to be other criminal organizations in Diablo 4, so they might not have any connection to the Sightless Eye or the Amazons, but the rogues we saw in the original Diablo, the, the rogue we saw in that, and the rogue, the monastery of the Sightless Eye that we saw in Diablo 2, they come from the same tradition. They come from the, the rogue tradition that was started by uh, expatriate Amazons that ran away from the Scovus Isles and attempted to use the artifact to, to contact the high heavens. Uh, and that's the difference between them and the Amazons and the demon hunters have nothing to do with any of it. They're just people who were uh, in one way or another, you know, harmed by demons, whether it was personally, whether it was loved ones getting killed, whatever, who were found by somebody who, who initiated them into the new demon hunter tradition, which is not in any way related to the rogues. It, it almost like the demon hunters in Diablo three almost feel uh, like a kinship with the story origin of the demon hunters in WoW, where it's like, yeah, literally you, something horrible happened to you yeah. because of demons and you learn to fight demons with like, you know, the secrets that you plumbed from, you know, the arcane and so forth. You notice that the discipline and hatred uh, power source of the demon hunters in Diablo three is a unique, it's, it's their own special thing. So yeah, they're not, they're not rogues. They're not related to them. There's, they, the fact that they do a lot of range stuff just happens to be what they do. It's not, it's not, you know, everybody who uses a bow has to be related to everybody else who uses a bow. No, that's not how this works. Uh, it just happens to be that both rogues and demon hunters use ranged weapons. Yeah. It, it, so I can understand why people would think that there's some form of similarities for it, especially because from a game design perspective, uh, they tend to fill somewhat of a similar role with each other, just with different mechanics. But from a story's perspective, wildly different. Um, our next question comes from Ekjek. Uh, question for the lore bros. Your recent Anduin and Chains of Domination discussion has me thinking. Jaina mentioned while captive that they were being tested on. Do you think the distinction between wielding channeling one of the cosmic forces could have been what the jailer was looking for? Jaina may be one of Azeroth's strongest wielders of the arcane, but she doesn't channel it. The jailer needed someone who could channel his power to be his pawn. Um, we did talk about I think this pretty extensively last last lore watch, um, which is what uh, Ekjek is referring to. And if you haven't listened to that yet, I highly recommend you do, especially if you don't mind spoilers uh, and want to talk a little bit more about that uh, Chains of Domination uh, cinematic. It is an interesting thought. Like we talked about Anduin becoming the perfect vessel because he doesn't have a sense of self, but. Part of that was also that he's used to channeling or becoming a conduit for the light, at least from my perspective. Do you think that the way that Jaina wields her power is what made her unsuitable as a vessel? It's kind of similar to how uh, Thrall wouldn't have been a good vessel because he doesn't actually channel things through him necessarily. Uh, he simply, if from the shaman shamanic tradition, asks the elements to do the thing for him versus... Anduin, who, as a light wielder in his particular specialty, actually invites it into himself and through himself. Do you think that? Do you think that that's what makes the distinction? I mean, who knows? It could be. I've, it's kind of like you're asking me to speculate on something that 
it's we're already speculating on. So I'm speculating on the speculation <laughs> at this point. Uh, maybe could be. I mean, there certainly seems to be. You know, like I we've we've talked about before. The, the you know, I think there's a reason that he picked the people he picked, and I think that the fact that he tried to get Taronda is important. I um, and we keep kind of ignoring it because the like the other ones are the ones who actually got caught. But Tyrande was also uh, targeted. Yeah, we can't we yeah. can't forget that. I, I mean, and to a certain degree, I mean, we don't know who chose the targets. Like, we don't know if the if the jailer gave Sylvanas a list or if Sylvanas decided, well, they've been messing with me anyway. So, you know, we don't know why we don't know why they were chosen or who they were chosen by yet. So, but it seems likely if you look at the people that were picked, the only one who really stands out to me is Bane. I. Uh, Far as I can tell, Bane does not channel or summon or control any cosmic forces. Bane is just a really strong-willed person. Well, uh, it might have been out of you know, if Sylvanas picked them, it might have been out of sheer like you know, not wanting contempt. Bane on the playing field. No, not contempt. She doesn't hold him in contempt. Uh, if you read War, uh, War Crimes, there's a moment where Sylvanas does hold him in contempt, and then he comes over and very quietly, like you know, he puts his hand around her wrist and says, "Stop now," and she realizes he can oh, crush her. Yeah, I've been, I have been thinking you were weak, and you could break me in half without even like, you know, Bane is extremely strong, uh, but he isn't channeling like, you know, the the elements or the arcane or the power of a god or the light, so or any of that. So it is interesting that you notice Bane was the one who was experimented on. But also. I have, I have, a, I have another idea that occurred to me, especially since our last discussion, in particular because Tehran was included into it. Every single person in that list has had a crisis of self, right? So, like, Jaina just went through that last expansion. She had a crisis of self. Uh, Bane had a sort of crisis of how do I lead my people? Uh, plus, you know, what is my role in the Horde and all this other stuff that just happened to him relatively recently as well. Uh, then you have Thrall, who just had a crisis of self because he couldn't call on the elements anymore. Uh, and a key piece of himself uh, that had been some part of his identity for quite a number of years and central to who he was, was gone. Uh, and then you have Tyrande. Tyrande, who reaches out to a loon who invites the night warrior into herself. Maybe it's not about power. Maybe it's about what you were talking about last week, where it's the, that the crisis itself allows for the opportunity for that to press into their personality. What normally couldn't, but the downside is with all of those people that have been picked, it almost seems like they were, the wrong timing. They had already figured out who they were. They had come through the other side of the crisis. All of them, except Anduin, who is still figuring out who he is. You brought this point up last week and it's, it's, it sticks with me. He is the only one on that list that doesn't fully, truly understand who he is yet because he hasn't had that opportunity. And then look at some of the other vessels that were potential choices, uh, way back when, like, and why they didn't work. Right. We talked about Nerzul. He didn't have a body, but even if he did have a body, he was pretty sure of himself. Pretty sure he well, knew who he was, at, right? At that point, yeah, he'd been, you know, he'd been misled by the horde. He'd lost his wife. He'd been an elder shaman for years. I, I do think that, like, if you're talking about that, and I don't know that that's actually accurate or not, but if you're talking about that, Taronda's a singularly horrible choice. Oh, I would agree. Yeah, Taronda never really, even when she, even when she was like going along with everything that Alun said or wanted, she was still 
very sure of herself. But the question uh, is, if if Sylvanas was the one that was choosing the targets, did she know that? Because, I don't know what Tor- what Sylvanas knows about Toronto. Yeah, to be honest. Because like but, you know, she's a terrible warrior at this point. But I'm starting to wonder if she doesn't realize that she is the Night Warrior, that she has sort of that conviction now. She just burned her home down. She did something so horrible that should cause an identity crisis, right? Like if you're trying to break somebody down and rip their heart out and shatter them, that seems like a, a what almost like that move was designed to do. Yeah. I think the problem there is poss- quite possibly that Sylvanas doesn't understand that she is like a child compared to Tyrande. I would agree. Sylvanas for all that she is an elf and has lived hundreds of years. Tyrande has lived tens of thousands of years and Tyrande has seen the Legion burn her entire world. She's seen her people like get, Take, you know, taken back to like practically no civilization at all and had to rebuild. She led them through that. Uh, she was doing it by herself because her, you know, Shondo, her, you know, beloved, you know, Shondo means teacher. It doesn't mean beloved one, but you know, her beloved one was sleeping for most of the time. So she had to do it practically on her own with no, nobody but her kid to help her. Um, then the Legion returned and she, you know, if you, we, we see every time we see Taronda act, we see that Tronda does not hesitate and does not second guess herself. Mm-hmm. Um, like she's straight up, you know, she's like, I'm going to free Illidan. No, we can't free Illidan. I'm going to free Illidan. If you don't move, I will move you, but I'm going to free Illidan. And, you know, it's like, even Malfurion's like, you can't do it. And she's like, you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you don't, nobody tells me what to do unless their name is a loon. And when, and when things came hard, when, when Sylvanas quote unquote, broke Taranda, she broke her in such a way that she went up to her god and said, no, you will not allow this. You will give me the power to fight this. Or I will not be, you know, I will not be the high priest of a goddess who does not, you know, stand up for her people. So you give me the power. And she did. Yeah. I mean, you know? it almost seems like it was a plan that backfired, but it just, it, it, I just can't help get it out of my head that it seems like the, the, the identity crisis of well, self way, seems to be the, part of the key. I don't know, though, because Bane didn't really have it. If Bane ever had an identity crisis, it was back before his father died. Maybe you could argue that he had a slight identity crisis after his father died, but I don't really feel like he did. I feel like he had a crisis of, what am I doing here? Why am I in the Horde if the Horde is going to be this? He had that under Garrosh, and he had that under Sylvanas, but it was never a crisis of conscience or a crisis of the self. He never doubted himself. But then again, we keep making the assumption that how do I put this? You might not want to pick all people with the same psychological problem. You might want different people for different reasons mm-hmm. because you need to see what will work. The whole point was they had no idea what was work. Thrall even says it's like they were testing us, but he wouldn't say what he wanted. He didn't know what he wanted. He didn't know what he was looking for until he sees it. That whole bit with Anduin like throwing up the light barrier and stopping him that's what he was looking for, but he didn't know that's what he was looking for until he got it. That's the thing about blind testing these strange people from another world. You're looking for something, but you don't know what it is. So it's quite possible that they went into this with no idea of what they were doing. And thus Sylvanas was just, he was just told by Sylvanas was just told by the jailer, bring me these people. I don't, you know, bring me people. Mm -hmm, I need mm -hmm. people to look at, bring me the strongest people you can find. And she just grabbed the people that were the most, you know, and thus, her selection of Toronto was just, well, she's really powerful, so sure. Not realizing how powerful she was, that she she commanded enough force to at least bulk the jailer's forces. And that's an interesting thing, too. Of all of them, only 
Taronda was able to prevent her own abduction. Yeah, which I find fascinating too, because one would one would have imagined that like Anduin, you can argue, yeah, he was taken off guard while he was mourning or whatever the case was, sure, but Gen was there too. Uh, you Bane, we don't know the circumstances really around his like if anything else was really around him, but like Tyrande has that power inside of her that she could probably stand on her well on her own pretty pretty dang well, yeah, but so could Jaina. Yeah, but here's the implication though. Jaina and Thrall are calling upon... Thrall barely even has the elements, as far as I know. Like, I don't even know if they... Even now, if he, they respond to him. He does. He, he got... he uh, Canonically, as story-wise, he gets them back in the Torghast freeing event. Okay. But in terms of Jaina's concern, Jaina's an extremely powerful mage. And we see that in the fact that she frees herself several times. Uh, but she's stuck in, in, you know, in the Maw, so that didn't do her much good. But the difference between Jaina and Taronda is... And I think this is really, really important. We have no idea what Elune is. Yeah. The light, the light doesn't have a driving force. It doesn't have a personification. So I can understand why the Jailer is able to ultimately overwhelm Anduin. But Taranda, we have no idea what Elune is. If Elune is a first one, then if anything, she might be more powerful than the Jailer. And in a straight-up confrontation, he'd lose. Which could also be why the vessels of uh, Elune's wrath burn out as they do. Because you're channeling the kind of cosmic power. What's the what's the old thing? Ultimate cosmic power, itty bitty living space. Yeah, there, but there's no there's no limiter on it now, right? Like yeah. there's no well, there's no wristbands to keep you from that ultimate power. There's rules, but with the Night Warrior, there really isn't. The interesting thing about like we since we don't know, we're dealing with a lot of not of not knowings. But to, to get back to all of this. It's quite possible. We're like we're like I said, we're speculating about speculation at this point. It's quite possible that it is the the you know one way or another, but we don't really know, and we won't know for quite some time. I do think it's interesting that he is literally driving Anduin around. I, I still think it's like a drone. He's got Anduin like a drone doing stuff, and he can Anduin can occasionally exert himself, but then the jailer can just bear down on him. Yeah, it's literally the the old classic concept of obsession. Which is control from outside um, versus possession. Possession is control what, from within. Yeah, and obsession and possession. I mean, these are not, that's not what we use the modern term obsession for, but it, it's the original, which is literally control from outside. A spirit is not inside you, you know, controlling you. It is outside directing you. Either way, I think a lot of this will will come in time. And I, I, th- I don't think we've got the full picture yet. I do want to see more of like what's going on. Uh, Corthia is the name of the new realm we're going to. Yes, Corthia. I wonder what's going on with Corthia because we know that at least some of the things I've seen indicate the Dreadlords might be there. That there's stuff there that looks like Oribos. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we're you know we've we speculated before about how the Maw feels broken, and I think that that's going to be something we're going to figure out is that these these other realms of the Shadowlands are all broken off. Originally there was there was a Shadowlands equivalent of the Sundering. There was some event in the Shadowlands past that made it from one realm into these, these sub realms. And I think that moment is going to be part and parcel of what we're investigating now. And it's going to reveal more about what's going on with Anduin. I would agree. And I also think that there's going to be some heavy, heavy connotation when we start getting into this and start looking more at the eye of the jailer as well. And I think that's going to illuminate some of the stuff, like the choices that were made, because I do think that it wasn't Sylvanas's choice on who got picked. I think it was 
this is, and again, pure speculation. I think him looking into our realm and just kind of watching at what's been going on. Uh, I think he was able to, to make some choices and say, go get me these people, but we'll find out more in the future. And I'm actually really excited about that because this is the, I'm feeling like we're getting little tidbits, not just of what's going on with the jailer and Anduin and how that all works in the selection process. But like you pointed out, like, how the Shadowlands came to be, what their, you know, pieces of it beforehand, and learning about some ancient, ancient, far-off history that, being a denizen of Azeroth, we had no idea existed, which I think is really, really interesting. Our next question. Greetings, lore experts. Loreperts? Uh, trademark pending. The new cinematic for WoW was awesome. While I still have my issues about souls going to the Maw, cough, stop sending in their cough, I did see something that I'm sure was obvious to you all. Uh, yes, the last horse just crossed the finish line. Uh, there's an overwhelming theme of choice. It ranges from Sylvanas Anduin's story to the very nature of the events of the Covenants in Ardenweald. A mask can take you over, or take over your body and take away your choice slash self. In Bastion, you must give up yourself. No choice there. In Revendreth, you are forced to confront your past sins. And Maldraxxus, you need a bath? Uh, this one I don't know. Am I just reaching on this one? Keep up the awesome work, Mark. It is definitely a theme in the Shadowlands. What that theme will lead to, I don't know. Uh, but each of the Covenants does seem like it is a choice. Uh, in Maldraxxus, you can choose to fight or you can choose to not fight, and then you just become bones in the ground. Uh, bones in the giant abomination that is Maldraxxus, because I'm 100% on the train that Maldraxxus is a living thing. Uh, or not living thing. Whatever, it's an entity. Uh, Ardenweld, it's the same thing. Like, even with... Uh, the process of resurrection, it's a choice. Folks can choose to stay and serve the Winter, the winter Queen or be reborn uh, in whatever fashion, which I think is, is fascinating. In Bastion, we've seen that there was a choice. It was just not presented as such. They weren't given the option, but you have the Forsworn. You have uh, the folks that aren't serving the Maw quite yet, but are choosing not to let go of their memories and their sense of self. And then you have Revendreth where it is, there is actually a choice. You are forced to confront your past sins, but your choice is to let go and become more than it or to hold on to that and, and constantly bear the burden of what you did. Right? So there is definitely an overwhelming theme of choice throughout the Shadowlands in general. And I don't know where it's going yet. What about you, Matt? I mean, um, I keep going back to Illidan refusing the light and he mm -hmm. says, I have my scars. And then if you've done the, uh, the fight with Kael'thas in Castle Nathria, Kael'thas won't let go. And it, it's clearly a source of strength to him. It's a source of power to him. He won't release who he was. He won't let go. And as a result, I mean, he practically, you know, he's flinging fire around like it's nobody's business. The guy is, has not lost a step. He is... If anything, I think he might be more powerful now. Yeah, and granted he's dead, but nevertheless, he's dead, but he is not released who he is. He he refuses to do so. Um, Maldraxxus, I feel like it's it's the old fight or die trope, mm -hmm. but it's also the concept of, like, they abandon, like, you see them changing physically. They abandon their form in a lot of cases. Uh, they choose to be to become the distillation of who they, of that conflict within themselves. They choose to become conflict in a way. Um, and it's interesting, you get, Mograine didn't, you, you, they even have a thing about Mograine talking to Vosh about it, about why did Vosh, you know, Vosh didn't have to be a Naga. In fact, 
the implication is when she arrived, she arrived as a night elf. Mm-hmm. Like when she got to Maldraxxus, she was a night elf. Uh, or that you can pick whatever form you want. Like there is, there's certain implications there. We know that Amber Kiernan uh, became like a spider person, which might be the perfect distillation of what her role was in life. <clears throat> the the kind of you know skulking in the shadows, spinning webs, sort of trapping people thing that that Amber did as a as a rogue in life. She embodies in death, so it feels like there's a choice to distill yourself down. You can you can choose to take up arms. You can choose to become more like a, a like a like a honed blade. You you can make that choice. People also remember with if things were working properly, you don't have to stay in a realm. Yeah, you can move between them. Yeah, I as a, mean, as a matter of fact, you can actually find. Uh, I mean, if you choose Revendreth, it's kind of like the big joke among people in my guild. But like, you throw tea parties, and it's not just people in Revendreth that come to them. You go and invite folks from the other covenants. Like, there is clear movement between them when the gates are open. When things are working properly, um, and obviously things are right now not working properly, but there is that idea that there's like a certain amount of movement through. Like, you can if you if you succeed in Revendreth. And you have your sin purge. You don't have to stay in Revendreth. Like you don't have to stay and become a Venthyr. You can. You're given the option, but you can leave. People do. So, again, if things were working properly. But I definitely think there's a certain amount of trying to find the place that suits you. Mm-hmm. It's like sort of like a giant cosmic sorting hat. And I'm gonna say up front, I've never read a single one of those books, so I have no idea if that's a good metaphor. But yeah, it's basically just finding that place that suits you find the place that you suit and the place that suits you is a big part of it. The whole idea of the choices, the choices aren't always good, but they're choices. Uh, as for Ardenweald, I think there's choice in Ardenweald. I think that the, the real crime of the Drust is in fact that they steal choices from you. And to a certain degree, so do the others, the Mossworn or the Forsworn are, are stealing choices because they're lying. Mm-hmm. And if you lie to people, if you don't reveal, oh, but we're working with the jailer and the maw this whole time, which they don't only like, you know, only two people knew that, um, in the Forsworn and the Mossworn obviously know, but the Mossworn are not the Forsworn, uh, the Forsworn are specifically Kyrian who have, who have said, no, this place is not working, but they were being given faulty information. They were being told, you know, okay, we're going to, going to retain who we were and we're going to, but they're not being told. And by the way, the jailer is backing us. Mm-hmm. You know, you you see how Uther was like, oh my god, no, when he found out. So, yeah, there there is an element of choice and the and the abrogation of that choice in different ways. In Maldraxxus, it's 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 the choice is basically. I, I would say Maldraxxus is the one where people are making the choice to betray their their purpose, but they're still making a choice. It's the only one where the choice is still there. Um, in the villains of it, I think. Whereas, but then again, they're also working with the jailer, so ultimately, it's going to end up being no choice. That's the thing that the jailer is ultimately all about. Everything gets distilled down to what he wants, which is escape. So, yeah, I, I think there's a point to that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Our next question comes from our good friend Six K. Uh, question for Lore Watch: What's the significance of the single blood red mascara stripe underneath Sylvanas's right eye in the new cinematic? Was it always there? Um, it's an axe wound to her face. It is absolutely an axe wound to her face. Although uh, it's from the Ma- the Matt Gora that she fought with Sarfang uh, just before she was ousted from the horde when she basically said that the horde was nothing. But it is interesting that it's red. 
And I don't know if that is significant because she is not a living creature. She doesn't bleed, not like everybody else. And if anything, we've I think you've mentioned this before. It's almost like she's a banshee inhabiting her own body. Uh, where, like, we've seen her sort of, like, discoporeate or whatever. Like, she's just left her body at, at during the battle the battle for Lordaeron. You actually see her, like, explode out of her body. I don't know if that is significant or not, but I'm kind of curious if it is. Because, again, she doesn't bleed. She's not a living thing. Why is it red? Or is it just an artistic choice because they want to show the scar and don't have another way to do it? So. Well, I'm actually like looking at her face right now in the more recent cinematics, and to be honest with you, it's not really particularly red. I mean, it's it just looks like an extremely, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't know that it's that pronounced. It's very hard to, to see much difference between it and all the other stuff coming down her face. So that's that's just me looking at it now. So I don't know. That's that's a good question in terms of why would it be red? Uh, I think to a certain degree it would be red because it would be a little face. I mean, it's a wound to the face. I, I, you got me. <laughs> I, I don't actually see it as particularly red in the, mo- in the most recent cinematic. I was just looking at it. Yeah. You can kind of see it. It's almost because the color is a little bit muted just because of it. But like when she looks at Anduin's, uh, I don't want to say choiceless, I'll say choiceless body uh, because he's not dead. Uh, he, when he's, when she's looking at the drone, that is Anduin now. Uh, when she looks over, there is definitely a red hue to it, but everything else on her is washed out because that's just kind of the way that the, her color scheme is right now is kind of like the way of Shadowlands in general. Uh, everything seems like just a little bit washed out. But I, I don't know if there is a significance there. It's something that I think we'll learn a little bit more about later on. And I think it'll be something that we'll have when we start getting an answer to the question of what is Sylvanas, then I think we'll start getting a, a little bit closer to the answer of why her why that wound is red and if it does have any significance. But for right now, it's just because that's where she got hit in the face with an axe. All right. Uh, our next question comes from Godzilla, our favorite gigantic lizard. Uh, question for Lorewatch. So I'm 95% sure Sylvanas isn't dying in 9.1, just like Jaina and Azjara, her fellow warbringers from BFA. But I do think Sylvanas is going to go rogue. She won't be allying with us, but she's going to oppose the Jailer and still go about what she had initially thought the plan was. As much as I have been pretty meh, on Tehran's revenge story, I do think she is in a very particular spot. I think that we're going to see the Night Warrior power consume her, if only briefly, and Zaval gets his chains on her. Second, which of these reunions are you most looking forward to? Thrall and Draka, Thrall and Garrosh, Kael'thas and Jaina, Uther and Jaina slash Kalia, or everyone in Arthas. Arthas's legacy permeates everything, uh, or permeates everything in the expansion. It feels like so. I think it's only a matter of time till he shows up. Perhaps the jailer's personal torture cell, part of the raid. It would make sense as he is a failed Lich King in Zoval's eyes. Eh, that's, I mean, a good set of questions. I don't think Sylvanas is going to die in 9.1. When they announced her as yeah. a, a raid boss, I didn't think she was going to die, and I also I don't think we're going to even capture her. I think she is going to make an escape. So, uh, if anything, it, it'll probably be one of those fights where you fight her till she like is you know damaged enough to leave. Uh, similar to Jaina at the end of uh, uh, Siege of Dazarlor, Battle mm-hmm. for Dazarlor. I think it'll be similar to that in terms of what happens to to Sylvanas. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to turn against the uh, jailer right away, 
I think it'll be much more along the lines of she might be there, but now aware that he basically left her to get stomped while he was running around doing his stuff. He did, that she she is not she does not have any intrinsic value to. Uh, she is there as long as she serves a purpose to him. You know that that's fine. But once she once he she's done what he wants her to do, she no longer has any intrinsic value to him, and she's going to start looking to her own. And I'm actually. I'm actually wondering if we're already at that point too, especially with the Anduin stuff going on because she gave him what he wanted and it seemed like that was what her primary task was, was find a vessel. And so I'm kind of curious if we're going to get to that point sooner rather than later where it's like, Hey, uh, yeah, he's not asking me to do anything anymore. I've basically been left behind. And I think that might be part of the significance of her as a raid boss when we find her because like you pointed out, I think last week as well, it might have uh, on the, uh, I think it was the BlizzCon or two weeks ago on the BlizzCon recap that if she's there, there's a reason because he's not, the jailer is not there and it's, did she get left behind? And if she got left behind, why, why is she there? And it can't just be just to deal with us. There has to be something else going on. Because that sort of makes sense. And if she's at that point where she's been abandoned again and she's been left again, then maybe she does start looking to her own. The other variable is we still don't know if or what happened to Nathanos and if that's going to be playing into it at all either. Because I expect we'll probably see him in her fight. I I would hope so. Would not hope so. I would be perfectly happy to never see Nathanos again. I, I you know, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like his little arrogant self. Uh, hate him. Don't want any more of him. But I would be very. I would not be surprised if there was an aspect to what's going on or what she's doing that was a bit of a longer con or a longer game. Maybe. Actually, no. I gotta. I gotta keep going on this. Okay. Uh, you can't move fast. It. My problem with this and my problem with Nathanos is that they've. They had a moment where they, they actually did something interesting with him at the end of, of Battle for Azeroth, where, you know, the whole my love bit. And then they've, they've had Sylvanas basically cut him away from her. And I felt like, wow, this is interesting. You could, what does it feel like to be the absolute diehard, ride or die, loyal forever person who then gets left? And with Sylvanas going through what's going she's going through with the jailer where the jailer has clearly done that to her i felt like there's a lot of interesting stuff you could do with nathanos but they have not done it and if it's just going to be more of nathanos blake caller snarking at me i've had my fill of it if we're going to actually see nathanos react like, to what's happened no, to him no 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 i would love to see at the end of the raid nathanos comes in and literally dies for her in the shadowlands where that place where you end, you could end up getting your true death if you do and finally, it gets through to her that there's somebody who actually cares about her. Like that's, that's the, thing, the, the thing I don't think Sylvanas has ever really understood. Yes, she had the loyalty of of the Forsaken, but there has always been one person who actually cares about her. Yeah, not her position, not her power, not any of it. When she was alive and when she was dead, there has always been one person who cares about her. And I'm not saying that she has to, like, I'm not saying oh, they have to, like, you know, run away together and go live in a, in a cave somewhere. But I would love to see a moment of actual understanding of what she has missed, what she has lost because she couldn't focus on it. 
like imagine you know finally realizing oh i had this and i had it this whole time and i just used it i didn't ever once take it take stock of it i didn't recognize that it was real there's there's so many character things that you could get out of these two and they never really get them and it's just you know here's more snarky nathanos that's that's one note it's one dimensional i'm tired of it yeah it gets old. i have seen i have seen that nathanos blake caller is a snarky jerk what i have not seen is the guy who who is somewhere in him recognized that i just let my nephew die so i could have a body i you know there's always been moments where you get you, you get the sense there is more going on in the Thanos's head there but you never get to see it never get to see it when when he fought Taranda and just it was like honestly I thought her killing him the way she killed him the just the casual dispatch of him like you're unimportant was exactly right because he had done he had done nothing to be important so I, I want if he shows up in this fight I want him to be important not just as a fight mechanic, but his role should be important. Why is he there? Is he just there to be the same guy he's been ultimately like over and over again? Then I don't care. But if he's there to actually throw some light on the, the characterization of these two characters, if it is that moment where she realizes I did to him what the jailer is trying to do to me, then then it could be interesting. So Yeah, and that's it, just, and so that therefore when we're talking about the reunions you're most looking forward to that he asked about, yep. um, I am completely uninterested in more Arthas. I don't want to see Arthas in this expansion. I don't care about Arthas. He got his story. He got everything he needed to get. It's more important what he did to other people than it is to see him, in my opinion. I would agree. But I think we probably will see him. I think it's inevitable. The The level of how important or what his story shows up as, I think will, I don't know what that will be, but I think we will see him. And I would not be surprised if he's in one of the torture chambers and if Sylvanas, that was part of her reward. Because him getting flung into the mall, he's in there somewhere. We just don't know what's going on with it yet. Um, as far as reunions go, though, the one that I really, truly want the most is I want that Thrall and Garrosh encounter. I want that that moment where Garrosh is already dead. Thrall can't do anything more to him. He can't avoid the fact that he killed him. And we know he's in Castle Nathria somewhere. And technically, we've just, at this point, canonically, uh, we've thrown Sire Denathrius into a sword and have him captive, and he is being uh, re-educated, I believe is what they, they said it was happening to him. Uh, but if Garrosh is still under there and we go in and free him in the future, I want that encounter between him and Thrall. I want that reckoning in Thrall's eyes of this is m your fate was because of me. Everything from every horrible thing you did, I set I set you on that path to I took your life. Uh, I he you can see glimmers of that sort of starting to happen with Thrall already as like I mentioned earlier where the elements come back to him when you're rescuing him from Torghast. And it's one of those things where I would love to see that come to a close because I truly do feel that Garrosh, 
the ending that was given between Thrall and Garrosh was not satisfying. It was not satisfactory to me. In the moment, it made sense, but now we have an opportunity for something more, something different, something more complete, and I would be absolutely all about that. A close second, I wouldn't mind Jaina and Kalthos being forced to interact with each other because I think that would be incredibly interesting to see those two. Uh, And at this point, I'm... Do we need Jaina and her stalker? I mean, come on. <laughs> that's that's kind of why I want to see it. I want to see what her reaction is now that she is who she is. Now that she's gone through all of that stuff. Now that she's gone through the entire life. Whereas we talked about with him where, you know, he doesn't let go of his pride. It's sort of a source of power for him. She's become so much more over the years that I'd love to see her be able to like stare him down and make him wilt. Like I'd love to have a moment for Gina in that regard of like, yeah, no, you, uh, you're nothing to me. Peace. She already did that. Like when she was like much younger and less mature. So it's not exactly going to be an accomplishment. Well, she didn't really say you're nothing to me. She just, she said, you're not the one I choose. It's different. I, I, but also I think that to a certain degree, the Kael'thas that we have right now, isn't the Kael'thas who was obsessed with her. True. That Kael'thas was, I feel like they could have a meeting where it would be very much, you know, she's like, you know, you were kind of creepy and be like, yes, I, I was dealing with things, but compared to what happened after, I'm sorry, you know, you're just not that important to me either. You know, I, I have not been spending all this time thinking about you. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about my people. I, I, I betrayed my, I betrayed everybody. I had any sort of connection to hoping to save my people. Uh, if anything, quite frankly, I have more in common with Arthas than you right now. And that's true. If of the people around, the people who most understand where Kael'thas was going from in his his last moments would be Arthas. That constant driving, obsessive desire to save your people without understanding that your people are not you. Both Kael'thas and Arthas had that same problem, where they identified their people with themselves so strongly that they were like, I'll do anything for my people, but half the time, what the anything they did was for them. Yep, that incredibly selfish motivation behind the yeah. guise of selflessness. It's, it, and I think it's they, they thought they were being selfless because they didn't understand that crucial fact. Your people are not you. You know, what's good for your people is not necessarily what you would want to do. And that's the, the problem. <laughs> Everything Kael'thas does, if you look at the entirety of Burning Crusade, Everything Kael'thas does to try and save his people is a betrayal of everything his people stand for. Yeah. And he does it over and over again. And yeah, the, the ends, the, he, the old argument is the ends justify the means, but he did that so often that in the end, he didn't have the ends anymore because everything he was doing wasn't going to bring his people back. It was going to transform them so utterly they wouldn't be his people anymore. Uh, if you look at the, like the fell elves, I don't know if they were called, but you saw them. They looked like demons. They mm-hmm. were, they were not, and they didn't act like blood elves. They, you know, there's just that fascinating, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions concept that both Kael'thas and Arthas, in their own different ways, personify. And I would like to see. This is one of the reasons why I, I really do hope the Legion isn't done. I, I don't want to see Sargeras come on back or anything, uh, but I feel like just because a couple of really powerful demons got beat. And that, 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 
you know, Sargeras got locked away for a while. Sargeras was barely, you know, was kind of locked away for a while before. He it was really, himself- I mean, it was really what? Kill, kill Jaden and, uh, I can't think of his name now. Oh, bloody heck. Kill Jaden and Archimonde? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It was, I mean, if anything, it was more them and then whoever they put in charge running the show than, than Sargeras. Yeah, he, he was kind of the big picture guy. I, I, I think that there's just in general that idea. So. I, I would like to see that, if anything, in Kael'thas and Arthas. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's anything else really to add to that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm good. Right. We can move on. All right. Uh, our next one. Question for Lorewatch. I'm working on the Maldraxxus story, and Kael'thuzad has me running errands. During this, he has me get four books. One of the first ones, uh, one, of the, one on the first ones, one on the... Barriers and Wards, one on the Binding of the Banished, one presumably Zoval, and one on Kyrian Magic, and talks about a special Kyrian known as a Bearer, specifically Bearer Thedrin. Thedrin? Looking at this and watching the trailer for the next content patch, it looks like we can assume that uh, Kalthazad uh, is the one who is figuring out how to break the locks, question mark. Also, having not played through the Kyrian story, do we know what significance bearers have in Kyrian society, and how this could be related to the key portion taken from the Archon? Lastly, from the content patch video, the Jailer says death was never meant to be chained. This looks to me, thinking about other theories on his crimes, like the Jailer was banished for trying to free death and let it run rampant. Like, maybe the first ones bound death in a way that allowed mortals to flourish, as well as the big floating chain thing that both death and in the new zone y'all rock titan fuzz uh, i haven't done a whole i haven't done really anything in maldraxxus uh but i think that is interesting that it seems like uh Kalthazad is looking for uh specific literature on different things that might be related wards Kyrian magic uh binding the banished one which also seems weird that they'd have a book on that but who knows? One of the first ones, which is probably more like a, here's what we think the first ones were. But yeah, uh, who knows? It seems like Kel'Thuzad is definitely, I don't want to say working for the Jailer, because Kel'Thuzad generally is a little more self-serving than that, but it might be, he might be doing some bidding for him, or, or working alongside of him because it suits his personal needs. And I don't know where his story is going to go, but I think at one point we're going to try to finally, like, fully, completely, totally off Kel'Thuzad. Uh, as far as the Kyrian bearer, I don't know what that means because I haven't done much of the Kyrian stuff. Well, it doesn't matter. There is nothing in the game yet that says what he's a bearer of or what it means. It's just, it's part, we know it's part of Kel'Thuzad's bizarre planning. I mean, you know, he's in the house of rituals and he's working, he's definitely working with the, the, the forces of Revan. He's, he's working with, uh, Denathrius ultimately. Um, so he's definitely doing something. He's Margrave. Uh, he's now Margrave of the uh, House of Rituals. So he's still working with you know, the the uh, the Maw. He's still mm. working with Jailer. We don't really know exactly what his plans are, though. We don't know if he's researching all the uh, ways to break the bonds, or if he's doing this for his own. Like we don't know if he's doing this for the Jailer or for himself. Um, I mean, he's working on a ritual to free the Jailer, but we don't know why he's doing it like if he's really going to actually help the jailer or if he's got his eyes on the main prize which is himself he was always pretty loyal to the lich king like he didn't betray the lich king when he had the chance to so i don't know 
right now what the uh, what Kelthazad is up to. But he definitely does seem to be... He, he's definitely up to something, and it might be involved in figuring out how to free the Jailer. I honestly think in the concept of the Jailer, the whole idea that death was never supposed to be chained, I, whenever the Jailer says that kind of stuff, I think he's talking about himself. Yeah, like I get that impression I too. I don't think he's talking about death as an impersonal cosmic force. I think he means himself. I think he thinks he is death. Uh, it's actually fairly similar to Diablo 3 with um, with Malthiel calling himself death and the angel of death. Malthiel wasn't uh, the angel of death. You know, he was the archangel of wisdom. He, he he decided, I'm the angel of death. He took that on himself. I feel like that's the jailer is lives in the Shadowlands and is a powerful being, but I don't think he's death. And I think that that's kind of, once again, in a weird sort of way, this is a common theme in World of Warcraft where these people don't, they make the mistake of confusing themselves for things. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I said, both Arthas and uh, Kael'thas confused their, their people with themselves. I think the jailer is confused death with himself and in fact it might be that arrogance that he needed so that they had to confine him because none of the none of the the ones we're seeing none of the pantheon of death are death no they're all just part of the cycle right yeah and yet he's decided i am death itself i so he stepped beyond his station we don't know what his station originally was we don't know what he did like we we can see like the the primus the archon the you know the night the winter queen we can see what they do like they have roles they provide functions this implies that both the arbiter and you know this is a really weird thought but we keep talking about that hole in the jailer's chest and how it looks similar to the thing the arbiter has going it, it might it's possible that that was zoval's job mm-hmm. zoval might have been that before the arbiter might have been the arbiter he might have been arbiter 1.0 or they might have been like one being because we know that that's a thing that they love to do. Oh, yeah. Play. That idea of this one being that divides itself. Maybe there was one being that, like, decided it was going to be purely rational and pulled away. Like, it pulled all the rationality out of itself and created the Arbiter out of it. And then the, what was left was Zoval. I don't know. But I do know that I feel like Zoval often often says things like, you know, death can't be, con- you know, death should never be chained. He's talking about himself. He means I shouldn't have been chained, but he would never say I. He's like Doctor Doom in a way, where Doom just constantly calls himself Doom. Yeah, Doom. You know, Doom cannot be defeated. You're not actually Doom, Doom. <laughs> Do you know that you're not the concept of Doom? You're you're actually a person. Uh, I I think that that's what the, what's going on with Zoval when he says those things. But yeah. it is fascinating to think about what happened because we're seeing, like I said, we're seeing that the Maw appears to have been smashed into pieces, and we're seeing them reclaim pieces and find things on them. And those things have connections to like our, to Oribos. And this makes me wonder if the entire Shadowlands was once one place. And if things continue as they are, could those chains come and grab Bastion? Could he actually shoot chains out of the Maw and drag all the other realms into the Maw? Is that what he's trying to do? Like, does he want to rebuild some primordial Shadowlands before the falling type situation? Uh, or is he just looking for a way to escape? I don't know, but I think there is there is something to this concept. And I think this kind of bleeds into the a little bit to the next question as well from Roxy, which is, uh, well, Roxy, also known as Padilla. Uh, in the new Kingsborn cinematic, the Jailer reveals that he's looking for three more keys. Uh, so there are many questions. Why three keys? Are they from the Eternals? If so, does he have Denathrius? Does he have the Rune Carvers? I mean, the Primuses. Is it five keys to open the path? A la 
Ilganoth? Uh, and if so, who has the fifth key? Lastly, in Afterlives, Maldraxxus, we get told multiple times that Draka is a key. Is that much more literal than we thought? Like, that is an interesting thing. And I've been thinking about this a, a little bit, too. Like, we talk about the chains. Chains generally have keys. We talk about the warding. Uh, warding generally tends to look like glyphs in this game. Uh, or, or something like that. And we do see that in that cinematic when uh, Drone Anduin stabs the uh, Kyrestria, she doesn't die, but the rune that's in her chest lights up that wasn't there before, was invisible at first, and gets sucked into the blade. And then he gives the blade to Zoval, and then Zoval does his little chainy thing. So, what. But it was interesting when he says three more keys. While there's four realms of the shadow Shadowlands that we know of, one would assume that if Denathrius was already working with him, that he'd let him have it, if that's what he wanted. And we can assume that the Primus had one, maybe. But he's got the Primus, or at least we're relatively confident he's got the Primus. If he doesn't actually have the Primus, he beat the Primus. The Primus went after him and lost. Yeah. If he had the key on him, even if the Rune Carver is not the Primus, and I think that, that he is, but even if he's not, the Primus went into a fight with the jailer and didn't come back from it. It would have been dumb for him if he had a key to take it with him. Yeah. Don't bring it with you. Yeah. Which is Uh, what I was kind of thinking too. Is like, I'm wondering if, if Padilla is onto something, maybe, maybe Draca was once you've showed up in Maldraxxus was like branded with the key. I mean, or he might've, you know, we don't know what these keys are. They're not like, they're not like literally a keychain. You know, he doesn't actually, he obviously, Anduin stabs the Archon and takes something away from her, takes it out of her. Um, the thing, therefore, it can be removed. It it's, feels like it might be more conceptual than anything. So it's quite possible he just put it in her or infused her with it or something. I don't know. Um, and we don't know how the, you know, if, if each, like, what would the Winter Queen's key be? I mean, would it be the actual heart of the forest itself that was used to lock him in? I mean, there's, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to this we don't know yet. Yeah, and I mean that's today. There's a lot we don't know yet. Bop, <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't. We don't know. No. <laughs> but it is no, no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> uh, but it is. It is actually very interesting to see like how this is all going to play into everything else because Kyrestria may have been that may have been a key. It may not have been a key. It could have been something else. Uh, could have been a portion of her power, whatever the case is. We don't know, like Matt said and saying, we don't generally know exactly what is meant by those quite yet. Uh, but it is very obvious that he is looking for something to let him out of his exile. Uh, and a book on how uh, something was banished. Uh, yeah, probably a, a good indicator that he's got people looking for it and trying to figure out how to, to get him out of there from the outside, because like any good prison, uh, you're maintaining problem- that the entire reason he wanted Helia to be working for him is because she's really good at building prison planes. Yep. You know, and you want somebody to get you out of a prison plane. You get somebody who's really good at making them. Especially That's- if, especially if we assume that she studied the maw to learn how to make it in the first place. Because I, we don't know what she studied when she looked into the Shadowlands. <laughs> we know she was looking into the Shadowlands. We know she's the one that connected up Odin with uh, Muzala in the first place. And we know that the eye of the Jailer is almost certainly Odin's eye. Yeah. And has been basically given some kind of independent existence as a servant to the Jailer. And that implies a lot about the relative relationship 
the relative relationship where I'm at, um, of these beings and why you'd want Helia was the one that connected them. Helia was the one that reached into the Shadowlands and pulled things forth. She's the one that could summon them. So yeah, there's there is a lot going on to that as well. I I definitely think that we're looking at the final the final end. We're we're coming in literally from the jailer's perspective, we are extremely annoying because this is the end of a plan that's been going on since like eons. You know, mil, you know who knows how long. But we're finally like we are we are at the point where you are just about ready to step through the door and reveal that you've succeeded at your master plan. And now these people show up who mess up every plan. It's like you had like I'm almost done. I, I'm almost out. You people these people suck. I don't want to deal with you. Which might be why he never actually stands there and, and deals with us. Like, you know, we're not important. We're just these annoying things that showed up at the last minute. Deal with them. I have things to do here. And you definitely get that impression whenever you see him, even when he's interacting with uh, Sylvanas in any of the cutscenes or or anything that involves him is like, we are a nuisance. We are we are not important. He's got vast like amounts of minions uh, to deal with us, and that's their job. Like he has entire armies of twisted, weird soul things that he shoved together and set off on patrol. Like he expects them to deal with us. Like he's got the Terra Grew, uh, which should deal with us. He doesn't have to deal with us. He we are not on his level. Uh, we are not important beyond what we can give him, which we already did by, you know, the whole Anduin thing. So like him not having time for us, him not caring about us makes perfect sense. And honestly, I kind of like this as a villain thing goes. And story-wise, it feels the most like a powerful bad guy that we've ever encountered. Just to kind of throw it out there, in the past we've had the Lich King who was way too involved in our lives when it came to the Wrath of the Lich King. He was everywhere, paying attention to us, always, you know, looking onto us because we were a threat to him. Illidan we saw twice when... Oh, Oh, no, you are totally wrong. Go ahead. You have completely misconstrued Arthas's relationship. We weren't a threat to him. That was... We were a threat to Azeroth. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. He he didn't... He was... A... We served as an ego boost because young heroes, I was most once like you. So anything we did that you know made him feel like he made the right choice, yay. But also, he wanted us to he wanted us to prove we were strong enough to be worth killing and turning into like undead servants to just to conquer the world for him. He was looking for another Arthas. This time he wanted a bunch of Arthases. Fair That's, enough. That's what he was going for. So no. I, if anything, I find I, I think people constantly fixate on the Lich King and say, "Oh, he's too involved and all that." I think that's that comes from a misreading of what was going on, and I think that misreading comes from the fact that you only get that thing I just said in the raid at the end of the fight. You only get that if you do the fight, and you know. So a lot of players never got that, I, or you- didn't get it till they've done it, and by then they'd had the whole expansion to be like, "Oh God, here he is again." You know, so I feel like that's just a failure of the storytelling structure. And I think that to a certain degree, what we're getting the jailer is a success of the storytelling structure. Yes. In that it's, it's giving you the aloof. It's kind of like Illidan who barely interacted with us, but it didn't feel like Illidan who was like, kind of, we, we kept being told Illidan was, was like out of control. He was nuts. He was, but we never saw know, it. 
we never saw much of anything, so we didn't know what was going on with that. The Illidan novel really does a good job of of saying, okay, this is why he was doing that stuff. But until we had that novel, we didn't. We, which is the point. I, the point I'm trying to make is that I think this is the best representation of, at least in my in my opinion, of a powerful being that is interacting with us. Because even old gods, like they're supposed to be these all powerful things. Uh, they're super involved and they're super present. Uh, Nazoth, you know, the whole whispering and, 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 and the invasion points and all that other stuff. It, I'm not saying it was bad, but it didn't feel like he was, it didn't feel like he was out of reach of us. Even as Jara to a point felt like she was out of reach until we started going into her palace and things started getting a little heated. Like Zolval doesn't, we're, we're not on his radar. We're annoyances. He knows we exist, but he's not concerned. And that comes across very clearly. That reads very clearly. Now, that may change in the future as we start messing up his plans, but I like that a lot. I like the idea that we know what we're struggling against and he doesn't care about us, or at least, you know, not enough to actually face us himself yet. And I feel that it's, like you said, it's a success of the storytelling. I really, really like that. And I think it's going to produce some very interesting interactions going forward, especially as we get into the, the new zone, especially as 9.1 hits and we start moving forward with the story, and especially after we deal with Sylvanas and, and at least the first time in Shadowlands. It's going to produce a lot of very, very interesting things. So... Uh, I think that's going to do us for time. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And again, if you do have questions for the podcast, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com or one of our multiple Discord channels, and we'll be more than happy to uh, answer them as we have time. Uh, make sure that you do put what show it's for and pronunciation of your name. Uh, But with that, folks, we'll see you next week.